Yaryam Bhutaksha Pasasara Ho Baba Yes. One eleven nine. Tatra at that time, Abdakoti, 
millions of years. Pratima, like. Shana, moments. Havet, becomes. Ravin, the sun. Vina, without. Akshno, of the eyes. Eva, like that. Na, ours. Tava, your. Ajuda, our infallible. Translation. O lotus eyed Lord, whenever you go away to Mathura, Vrindavan, or Rastinapur to meet your friends and relatives, every moment of your absence seems like a million years. O infallible one, at that time our eyes become useless as if bereft of the sun. We are all proud of our material senses for making experiments to determine the existence of God, but we forget that our senses are not absolute by themselves. They can only act under certain conditions, for example, our eyes. As long as the sunshine is there, our eyes are useful to a certain extent. But in the absence of sunshine, the eyes are useless. Lord Sri Krishna, being the primeval Lord, the supreme truth, is compared to the sun. Without him, all our knowledge is either false or partial. The opposite of the sun is darkness, and similarly the opposite of Krishna is maya or illusion. The devotees of the Lord can see everything in true perspective due to the light disseminated by Lord Krishna. By the grace of the Lord, the pure devotee cannot be in the darkness of ignorance. Therefore, it is necessary that we must always be in the sight of Lord Krishna, so that we can see both ourselves and the Lord with His different energies. As we cannot see anything in the absence of the sun, so also we cannot see anything, including our own self, without the factual presence of the Lord. Without Him, all our knowledge is covered by illusion. Homa jnana timirandasya jnanjana shalakaya Chakshuru meditam yena tasmai shri gurume namaha Shri Chaitanya Mano Vishnam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Svayam Rupagadamayam Dadati Svavadantikam Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yudhapadakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Zahagunaragunatam Vitam Tam Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijanam Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Alita Shri Vishakan Vitamscha He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dhinabandhu Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kanchana Gaurange Radhe Vrindavanishvare Rishabhana Sudadevi Pranamami Hari Priye Vansha Kalpata Rubyascha Kripa Sindhu Vyavacha Patita nam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadhadara Shri Vasani Bhauravakta Vrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare O lotus-eyed Lord, whenever you go away to Mathura, Vrindavan or Rastinapur to meet your friends and relatives, every moment of your absence seems like a million years. O infallible one, 
At that time, our eyes become useless, as if bereft of the sun. In the third canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, we find the creation of the universe being described. And it's very interesting how uh, we see uh, the Vedas explain that the creation of the Lord, uh, the creation of the universe in one sense, is like a, a being taking birth. The universal form, the whole universe, is described to be, uh, in one sense, a form, one form of God. And uh, it is interesting how the different features of the world, as it starts to manifest, it is uh, explained always in relationship uh, with the Supreme Lord. We see then how it is the eyes of the Supreme Lord, the eyes of the universal form, are like the sun and the moon. And it is only when the universal form opens his eyes that then um, sight becomes possible for all other living beings. The directions of space is like the ears of the Supreme Lord. And it is only when he opens his ears that other living beings have the opportunity to hear. Uh, we see that then uh, air is with, with the element of air manifested the sense of touch. And it is that same sense of touch of the Supreme Lord that ultimately makes it possible for any living being to have a sense of touch. So in this way, the third canto explains that as the different features of this world um, is manifested, always explaining it in relationship uh, with the Supreme Lord because uh, ultimately we are just participating uh, in His experience. It is only by His mercy and His existence that we have whatever we have, whatever our limited experience is of reality. It is uh, related uh, or is just a part of um, His creation. And here we can see Prabhupada explaining that just like the sun, experiences in this world is ultimately dependent on bigger arrangements. If there is no sun, there is no sight. Even here, uh, even though it looks like where is the sun, uh, it looks like we, we can see without the sun, uh, but all the light is coming from the sun. Even this electricity, at a certain point, all that electricity, whether it's coming from uh, solar energy or coming from oil, whatever it is, at a certain point, it is the light of the sun, it is the energy of the sun that has been transformed uh, into electricity that then makes it possible to see. So um, that's what we see, that um, ultimately we are all dependent on the Supreme Lord, but uh, the illusion of this world is that it offers us, to a certain extent, the experience of being independent. How many of us, how many people think about it, think about the fact that they're dependent on God, even for something as basic as being able to see? Uh, very few. It feels more like we are independent. It feels more like it is by our own ingenious arrangements that we have whatever we have. But um, that is not at all, not at all a fact. And um, a big first step in knowledge is to realize more and more this dependence on the Lord. Because if we can realize our dependence on the Lord, those basic things like our, our sight, our sound, our food, all these things, if we can see that all these things are made by the arrangements of the Lord, then we also understand that everything else, uh, everything is ultimately based on these arrangements of the Lord. 
my money, my relationships, and my happiness. For all these things, I am ultimately dependent on the Supreme Lord. And uh, that is a big first step in knowledge, is to accept this independence. Because wherever we uh, seek, whatever we understand we are dependent on, it is there that we will be able to uh, prioritize our energy. It is by becoming more aware of our dependence on the Supreme Lord, um, then it becomes possible for us to prioritize His worship, to understand that what is the relevance of worship of the Lord. Um, if we are dependent on Him for everything, then it makes perfect sense to be able to do that. Because it is there then that um, everything is found that we need. Um, so here we see in this 11th chapter how the prayers of the devotees uh, in Dwarka. So Dwarka, Lord Krishna's city, um, just on the west coast of India that he built. Uh, he built the city of Dwarka after Mathura was attacked repeatedly by all the inimical kings. And uh, to provide a safe shelter for his citizens, he proceeded to Dwarka and built a magnificent city. A magnificent city just on the coast. Uh, an impenetrable city. If it's not even not able to surround it by land, it is on the ocean. And uh, it is here then that he established himself um, in his later his later years after he moved away from Matura. By all these devotees, uh, by the wonderful uh, devotees that some or other were fortunate enough to become citizens of Lord Krishna's city. And uh, but Krishna always is uh, is so very often times he will travel out to Mathura or or Hastinapur to meet uh, the Pandavas. Uh, he would travel on different missions uh, with his friends and doing all kinds of things. And at that time, the citizens of Dwarka bereft uh, of the Lord's association. And what we see here now in these prayers is how these um, citizens of Dwarka are revealing their hearts, uh, explaining how they have felt in the absence of the Lord, and how prayers, uh, because ultimately that is our goal in spiritual life, is to somehow or other uh, take up residence in the abode of the Lord. But um, to take up residence in the abode of Krishna, uh, the qualification is a certain state of consciousness, a certain state of mind that has to be developed, a certain state of heart, one would say. And uh, otherwise, not possible, not possible to, to, uh, to buy property in Dwarka if one does not have the proper qualification. And uh, by seeing these prayers uh, of the devotees, we can therefore see how you know, what state of mind they are in uh, and how thoroughly re they realize their dependence on the Supreme Lord for all their uh, needs. Um, what is also nice uh, in this purport then, as probably explained, that just even though we are dependent on the Lord for external things like our sight or whatever, but the real thing is then, just as we are dependent on the Lord for our sight, we are also dependent on the Lord for uh, all our knowledge. Um, because what is interesting is that we understand the goal of life, of spiritual life, 
is to become self-realized, to realize who we really are, what our true identity is. And uh, a variety of spiritual processes can be attempted at least to see if one can uh, find success in this goal, whether it's through meditative yoga or the process of karma yoga, whatever it is, one tries to purify the self and then come to the point of understanding uh, what we really are. But um, the devotee, he knows the secret. He knows that ultimately the self can only be understood uh, in relationship with the Lord. Because the self, by its very nature, is made, it's ultimately, it is designed, call it that, to uh, be a servant of the Lord, to uh, be always glorifying the Lord and focused on the Lord. That is the eternal nature of the self. So the self, without understanding the Lord, it is not really possible to understand what is the self. Uh, just like if you would have uh, one would say if you have a piece of dynamite you can only understand that piece of dynamite when it is lit up, when it explodes, then you know what it is. It's like otherwise it just looks like a piece of plastic, or it just looks like a, a random object. But the power of that thing has to be released by something else. So similarly, the self also, if you look at the self in the absence of God, uh, it seems you cannot really understand what it is. Um, even now we see that um, living beings, sometimes they look so morose, so depressed, all these things, all these different states um, can be, that human beings can show. Uh, they can be sad or lamenting, uh, depressed, or even bored. Isn't it interesting that the living being can be bored? But all these conditions are not real, because these conditions are only happening when the living being is um, not, when he is not experiencing God. Then some or other, the natural uh, love and excitement and energy of the soul that is there, it cannot be, cannot become activated, it does not come to the forefront, it just stays dormant, stays inactive, and then one cannot know what the self really is. And that's why we see so many people, if they try to practice spiritual life uh, in the absence of um, a conception of God, then you can come to all kinds of interesting conclusions about what the self is. Uh, you can think that the self is ultimately an illusion, or you think that the highest goal is just to be peaceful, uh, to have no desires. So all these ideas are there. But um, we see that the moment that the living being becomes connected with God, then what happens is the real nature of the self comes out. Um, the real enthusiasm and the ecstasy ultimately that is there uh, in relationship. And that reveals um, the nature of the self. That reveals that the self, um, the soul, is ultimately made to find his happiness within uh, the service of God. And through that process of serving God, um, automatically what he is becomes revealed. So very fascinating, uh, this feature. Very simple, but also very profound. And what is nice about it, it is something that can be practiced uh, even from the very beginning of spiritual life. Uh, it is not... The, our ultimate true nature is not something that we only experience later, at the time of death or when we go to heaven or whatever it is. It is something that can be experienced immediately within this world. 
as we start the process of devotional service, immediately some, some part of our true identity becomes uh, manifested. And as we invest more and more in devotional service, more and more of this nature uh, will shine through. And uh, that is very encouraging that um, there is this element of a, a gradual development in devotional service, a gradual progression that uh, ultimately sustains us also throughout our sojourn through this world. Otherwise, it would be very difficult if that we have to work and work and do our spiritual practices and only later at the end we have some kind of realization. But uh, no, not like that. Even now, at this very moment, slowly but surely, um, our true nature is being revealed to us. And, uh, but by regularly glancing at the, uh, at least the Bhagavatam regularly gives us this experience of where we look at the great devotees and look at how far it goes, how far the enthusiasm goes to see the Lord or to experience uh, this relationship with the Lord. And by always, every now and again, regularly glancing at these uh, devotees and their wonderful condition, there we gain some inspiration and we also gain, um, gain some direction to understand that this is ultimately uh, where we are trying to go. Okay, so um, are there any questions or any comments? Anything that has been said today as we looked at, at this wonderful verse? Yes, so then we'll do. The opposite of Krishna is Maya. Just like darkness and the sun. So that's also say that I'm a starship of Brahma, a starship of the of Krishna. So how do we reconcile this? Because everything comes from him, from the Maya. So he said that the opposite of Krishna is Maya. everything, how can there be an opposite to him? And, uh, and if uh, the opposite is Maya, does it mean there's something that existing independent of him? Uh, Prabhupada gives the example of saying that it's like the shadow, like the sunlight and darkness. Ultimately, the darkness has no independent existence. It is also dependent on its existence from the sun. And, um, but we see that also the darkness can only exist, as Prabhupada explains, for the living being. Um, it is only the living being that can be... The sun is never, is never in darkness. The sun is always in the sunlight, wherever it is, it is always shining. Um, but the living being can somehow or other find himself within this uh, position of darkness. So, yeah, very fascinating, the whole um, reality of what the material energy is, how in one sense it is part of Krishna, but in other sense, um, it can give the experience that it is separate from Krishna. So that is very interesting, and that's the big distinction then between Vaishnava theology and Mayava theology. So in Vaishnava theology, we understand that the material energy is something real. It is real, and it, and it has its relationship with Krishna. The illusion is just that you can see it separate from Krishna. So the illusion only exists within the mind of the, the small jiva. There the darkness is to be found in his consciousness. He looks at matter and he thinks it is something that it is not. He thinks it is not related to Krishna and there he is in illusion. 
but what he is looking at, the material energy, is very real and it is also permanent, even though the conditions within it is fluctuating. Uh, whereas then the Maya bodies, uh, the impersonists, they think that the whole energy itself is not real. They think that the whole thing is, is, is asatya, it's, it's not, it does not really exist. Um, but that is also actually an illusion, because um, nothing can, whatever you are experiencing, it has its relationship with Krishna, so it must, in a certain sense, be real. So that's the fascinating uh, distinction between um, these two visions, or at least that the, what the Bhagavatam vision gives us, that the illusion is just um, situated within the mind of, of a living being, and that if the illusion becomes, uh, we, we also see how each of these two processes, they have a different idea of what happens if the illusion, if the darkness is removed. So if the darkness is removed in a personal sense, what happens is, is then you see that nothing exists, nothing is real that your, your eyes open and then in one sense what happens, everything implodes, you know, or then you, you, you realize that, or even if you look at um, some other theologies like Buddhism, then the idea is then you see the, the emptiness of everything, you see nothing is actually real, and then uh, it's just, it, it stops. But uh, we see that the Vaishnava way is so much different. The Vaishnava way is just immediately that the illusion, when the illusion is removed, the world stays as it is. The only thing that happens is that you see how this world is connected with God. And you also see how you use it always in connection with God. And in that way, the illusion becomes removed. When we are able to see even the material energy in its proper relationship with Krishna. And what is nice is that we see that in the lives of the pure devotees, how, um, how this is something that is practically manifest. You see, Prabhupada is very interesting. Um, with something imminent as basic, if you look at his finance, that uh, he always tried to explain to his disciples in the beginning that you have to be careful how you spend money because it's the energy of Krishna. Money is not an illusion. The illusion is if you think you can use money however you want to. That's the illusion. But to purify it, you have to just understand that you have to use your money as if it's Krishna's property. And very practically we saw that it just meant you shouldn't waste it. You shouldn't waste it and you should properly take account of it. So very interesting how you know, to overcome the illusion of the material energy is such a practical thing. It means that you have to start treating everything as if it is Krishna's property. And by starting to treat everything as if it's Krishna's property, then immediately uh, we will experience it also. And we actually start to experience it as Krishna's property. And there's a very nice verse how, I think Raghunath Das Swami, he explains how even sense gratification, Sense gratification, which is such a difficult thing to uproot, the big challenge, how to stop it. But I explained that ultimately it can be uprooted simply by humility, simply by understanding that nothing is my property. Amazing, that, that's really where it starts, even though you have some desires, but if you can really understand it, oh well, it's not, it's not mine, it's not mine to use, then um, immediately one starts this process of uh, transforming how we uh, perceive the world. And from there, then, all the other consequences of ignorance, lust, anger, greed, pride, envy, which is also all just actually forms of ignorance. All these things also will start to be dissipated. Because these things can only exist, lust, anger, greed, envy, they can only exist where this root ignorance is there, of thinking that um, this world is somehow up for grabs, that this world is somehow not related with Krishna, and that it is something that is open for my exploitation. Um, so, amazing how um, 
something so simple can lead to such heavy consequences, such a simple mistake that we make, just seeing the world separate from Krishna, and then it leads to all these, these other things. So I don't know if there's anything you would like to add to that um, distinction. Anything else? Greeks, 
everybody did it. So it's just something that has been, been lost through history and now it seems so strange to us, it seems so foreign, it seems like it's from a different culture. No, it's from everyone's culture, everyone's culture had it because it was, a, it was all pervasive in the ancient world. But now it's just because of years it's, it's become, uh, it's disappeared. And also one can say it could be due to great offense because um, we see that, um, especially the Protestants, we see that um, when the Protestants split from the Catholics, or even the beginning of Christianity, that's what they used to do. They used to smash the deities. A lot of time, uh, Christianity started to go iconoclastic, and they destroyed many of the deities that they found. Or the Muslims did the same thing in India. They destroyed so many deities. So you, you can imagine that that is a great sinful act. That is then that it will be passed on to further generations. So that's this thing. I mean, I was thinking about it once when. My inability to relate to the deity, I realized, well, actually, a part of my inability to relate to the deity is because of the sin that I have inherited from my forefathers, you know, from their own uh, disrespect towards this process. And so, but now, the thing is, so what do we do? How do we now somehow or other relate with the deity, even though it's just not there? And then it's very simple. It's just do some service for the deity. Amazing, huh? You start to do some service in some way, and then somehow or other you become attached. So when I, I was in, in Mayapur and I just received Brahminical initiation, then my spiritual master, he told me that, okay, now you have to do, now you have to do something for the deity. It, like, what's the point of your threat if you're not going to do any kind of, uh, you, you should do something now. And then uh, we had the opportunity, I was just starting to wash, every Sunday I used to go and wash the Lord's Paradise in Arabia. And, uh, and it was amazing, just doing that, that was it. And how it transformed one's experience of the deity. So, interesting in devotional service, how by service we gain some attachment. And that attachment is the, is one would say, that is the capital that allows us to understand a little bit about the emotions. Because these intense emotions that we see uh, within the residence of the Lord, the variety of emotions that are there, whether it's fear, or anger, or joy, or gratitude, it's like a, a wide variety of emotions that we see. But the root of all these emotions, the, the, the access point, the thing that makes all these emotions possible, is the attachment. If there's no attachment, there's no emotion. Just like if you would go outside and someone gets hit by a car, it's a little shocking. But if you don't know them, it's not really going to, I mean, it's going to be shocking, but then you go on with your day. But if it's like, if it's your mother, you know, or like someone you knows, how, how, how much the emotion changes. Just because there's some attachment to the person, and then so much more emotions get pulled out of the heart. So that's why in our case, we don't have to, our, our concern initially is just somehow become attached. And with that attachment, then the variety of experiences will come. And the, the, the root of the attachment is to invest in practical service. So, interesting how, at least in, in Bhakti, it looks like we are working, you know, it looks like we are very much concerned sometimes with external things. Uh, or like the Christians also, they couldn't understand how all the stuff that you do to dress the deity and the flower, like you don't understand how that translates into something spiritual. But that's how it translates, because the Lord accepts that service. And by whatever we do for the deity, we, we develop that attachment to Him. And then, so that's where the two worlds come together. The external world of doing things, and then the internal world, where the heart then becomes involved. And then the two meet. And in that way, the whole process of devotional service, wherever, whichever field we're working on, it is all ultimately related to developing this attachment. And then once that attachment is there, 
then so many things will happen. So that's what they say. Trust that they're correct. It's about the whole thing. question it's like you could have a one month seminar how to fill the temple how to get the temple people coming to the temple but I think all of us we have to do all of us we will play different roles all of us we will play a different role in it but the root of it is to somehow be the thing that attracts people and also the thing that attracts the devotees which we have to understand at a certain point we also have this thing where we, pr we preach and then someone becomes a devotee but then you have to stand, that person still just the same thing. Why would someone become a devotee? Some people become devotees ultimately because they are somehow caught up in the enthusiasm of the devotees. That's really what happens. And then you also, I also want some of this. And then you become part of it. But even later, if you're a devotee, even then, even devotees, they are moved by where there is some enthusiasm. If there is some enthusiasm, then devotees will come. So our, whatever it is we do, we will all play different roles. You know? Some of us, some of it is, some of it is, is, is organizational. To come up with a lot of nice programs and then to fill up the calendar so something exciting is always happening. Then some of it is operational, where devotees have to make sure that good prasadam served out on time, make sure the place is clean. So there's a wide variety of things that come together to make a temple a very nice place. Um, but what we should do is that we will fit in somewhere, um, somewhere we will find a little spot, our service or contribution. And if that do it, but also do it with enthusiasm, then it becomes, that, that's how we will, we will purchase people. So, Dr. Uh, Jose is the famous driver of Radha Govinda. He picks up people anytime, at night, he drops them off everywhere. And your enthusiasm, you're like the first man. If someone comes to visit us, and you pick him up at the airport, and they're like, wow, this Radha Govinda devotee is quite enthusiastic already. Then, step one, we already got some points. So that's how we all work together with our enthusiasm to create a, a nice environment. And in that way, the temple becomes full. But now in Brooklyn, especially, what we'll have to do at a certain point is to understand that for this temple to be successful, 
we have to be able to relate to the people who actually live in the in this live here. That would be the thing to make the temple something that's not only happening on festivals. Because the practical thing is that many of the people have to travel from very far away to come here. But many of the people are here on Saturday or on a big festival. People come from all over the place. But we see that actually, uh, what would work is that the people who are here, the people who are in the surrounding area, they have to come because they are the people who will be able to come every day. And uh, that's interesting how Iskon generally. Uh, you see that in many cities you have like you know Iskon, Iskon Zurich, you know, or you have Iskon New York. You have Iskon, whatever it is, London. But this, there's millions of people who live in those cities. You know, how can, it's like imagine you have Christian Church New York. It's like one Christian church somewhere in like New York, and then that's like Christian Church for the whole of New York. It doesn't make sense because really how, how these places work is that you have churches spread out all over the city, and then whoever is closest to that place, they go there because that's practically that's the particular arrangement. So even in Iskon, I think the future is, is that you see in, in, uh, in India they've done it, like in Delhi, for example. How many temples do you have in Delhi? Fifteen temples. Fifteen temples in one. Makes perfect sense because it's a, freaking, it's a big city. And the people who are closest to that temple, they will go there. So that's also a challenge with any kind of temple is to understand that you cannot depend on people from the whole city to come and fill up your temple. You have to work with whoever is actually living in the environment, in the neighborhood. Because they are the people who will, be, will actually come every day for darshan and come and make all of the experience. Um, so there's these two, two things. You have to fill up your festivals and then to also have a nice uh, people participate in the daily programs. So we are scratching our head to think how we're going to get the people of Brooklyn to come and take the mercy of Rai Govinda. And let's see uh, what we can do when it starts with our enthusiasm. That's something at least we can do. Anything else? Some final comments? Okay, thank you very much. Brantaraj, Sriman, Bhagavatam, Ki, Srila Prabhupada, Ki, Goro Bhaktivinoda. Thank you very much.